practical Kenny Kenty Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous. Coming up on the show this evening, a chance to listen to a man who spends months on end telling stories from the icy waters of both the North and South Poles, wildlife cameraman Doug Allen. And we'll hear from two backbones of the scene behind the scenes in music in Ireland, journalist and one-man curiosity shop Jim Carroll, and navigator of musicians Angela Dorgan. Then our artist and profile this evening is Gatherbourne-based novelist Orla Buckley. And perhaps it's not just her home, but the inspiration for her novels too that come from this Kilkenny community and which are set to be released upon the world. And we will then hear from the incredible Laurie Anderson, musician, artist and Mrs Lou Reed, who was with us in Boris County Carlo this summer and whose wisdom was captured in conversation with musician Fiekner Abrenon. First, though, to Doug Allen, who is in studio for a chat before he legs it back to the set theatre for his show, It's a Wrap. It starts at 8 o'clock, so if you like what you hear and you have the car keys ready, there's a handful of tickets and you can drop everything like you did in the old days and just do it. Uh, Douglas Doug Allen has been a wildlife documenter for, for many years. Uh, he's a cameraman with a weakness for the coldest waters in the world. He has said he's very happy walking the fine line between frostbite and not frostbite um, rather than swatting flies off a sweaty neck. And uh, he, he, he says it's the cold, the cold just sucks you in. David Attenborough has said of working with him, he's a wildlife cameraman, um, and, uh, and you don't get anyone more special than Doug as a wildlife cameraman. Perhaps part of that is because he makes time and lots of it for his work. Being a photographer in extreme conditions takes an immense amount of patience. Around about 480 days, I think, Doug, isn't it, of having an icicle on the end of your nose for just one hour of television. There are BAFTAs and Emmys and TED Talks and the ability to tour like a musician to good-sized venues talking about his amazing job. So, Doug, you're very That's welcome. It. Thank you very much. Good to be in Kilkenny. I'm looking forward to it tonight. That's an amazing little theatre you've got there. It's Absolutely a, It's beautiful. a beautiful yeah, theatre space, isn't it? It's a beauty. And uh, interesting to, to be playing in a theatre because I'd, I'd like to talk to you not so much as a as a technician of the camera or indeed a marine loving biologist sure. nor a man comfortable to mm -hmm. live in in the in the in the poles for prolonged periods of shivering <laughs> but as a storyteller oh, okay. so you're a filmmaker mm -hmm. but i i suppose your tom hanks is a polar bear <laughs> and your meryl streep is a shark and um but you get to feel loneliness like a writer does and you get to spend time away from your family like an actor does making a long tv series um, well, you know, being away is, is is definitely part of the business. Um, if you go and film somewhere like the Antarctic, uh, it takes a long time to simply get on location, and so the shoots tend to be longer anyway. Um, so, yeah, there is a trade-off, obviously, between your family life and, and being on location. Um, and it's also irregularity, that's, that's the thing. You know, you, you can be out for a long shoot and things are going well, and they made made decision may be made to extend it by a few weeks. So, I takes the time away even more but you know with some <clears throat> with understanding on both sides and and i suppose giving you know the priority is the animals to be honest and um i i do love being out in the wild i don't like i find it difficult with the shoots some shoots you can be 
on a location where you're filming something through the day but you're going back to maybe a hotel a fairly good hotel at night mm -hmm. I'd much rather be camping out or staying out or you're just absorbing that whole atmosphere of the environment that I'm in um, rather than trying to flip-flop between civilization and other places but of course um, the Antarctic or the Arctic yeah hotels are few and far between <laughs> so you do tend to enjoy those wildernesses and they are vast wildernesses uh, and, and I love the the emptiness of them in a way uh, I love to think I love to say you can't hide from a polar bear and you can't um, <laughs> if a polar bear can see you you can see the polar bear and there are no trees to hide behind um, so being out there there's a wonderful sense of sort of exposure to the animal to the environment and that lovely 180 degrees sky that you get over the top of you and uh, you just feel as though you're somewhere very special very remote yeah, and let me let me bring you back to 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 my point about you being a storyteller yeah, because mm, we're sure. um, we're we're here on a on an arts show, and I'm really wondering whether you are an artist disguised in a polar oh, fleece. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, I was trained as a scientist, I began as a marine biologist, but there's no doubt that um, the filming, but also I've done a lot of writing through my time. I I did a self-published book, but I've also written numerous articles, and there's no doubt that even the filming involves a creative aspect of you know of artistry and it's lovely to, to to feel that your right and left hand sides of your brain are both being activated and thought about at the same time and there's no doubt that certainly as far as the especially the stills photography I think there really is maybe even more artistry mm -hmm. to that than there is in movie making movie making somehow always has a purpose you know you're telling a story and you're telling it in pictures and you're comparatively limited um, straight jacketed so to speak simply by the fact that you have to show what the behaviour is whereas if you're writing about it or writing about nature then you can mix in all how you're feeling and what it looks like to you and somehow it's a, a biggest a bigger a bigger tapestry that you can paint on if you're if you're writing for example and so do you or radio I mean I enjoy doing radio too that's another um, art form that gives space for your imagination to move into it does not so do you try as best you can to remove yourself from the 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 final pictures from the final images that you've that you've made you know can someone who has an eye for these sorts of things look at a, look at a piece of work that you've done say for blue planet and go that's a doug allen piece of work well i hope yeah you can camera people do have different styles but um to some extent, you know, it's a very much a teamwork. Um, you know, build, making, bringing a film to the to the to the television. Um, the camera people really supply the building blocks. I think the most creative part of making a film is actually the editing, mm -hmm. um, rather than the actual filming of it, because it's the editor who takes all these long shots and just knows just where to cut them to make them flow into the next and then of course when the producer comes in then he or she will add the narration the music and the music is really emotional but the music is something that nobody ever agrees about you know? <laughs> very few people disagree with the editing but when you put the music on mm -hmm. you'll always get people that say too much or too little or wrong style um, and, but I think I really admire the editors who can take the raw footage, the building blocks 
and and carve them into something that is special. Um, I think that's where the true creativity happens. But on the other hand, when you're actually filming, you have to keep it not just all the technicalities, right, the exposure, the focus, but it has to be a pleasing composition to the eye. And the close-ups that you get have to match the wide shots in terms of where the animal is looking and what it's doing, etc. So, you know, it is storytelling. Um, it is storytelling, but as I say, wildlife is quite a linear form of storytelling, whereas other kinds of documentary filmmaking that, that I have had a little bit to do with but very much admire, it's non-linear. Let's, um, let's come back and talk about those after a couple of messages. The Art Show on KCLOR with Hugo Jellish, with thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. So we're back in studio now with Doug Allen, a wildlife um, and marine life cameraman who is desperately trying to leave the studio to get back up to the set (laughs) theatre for his show, but we've locked the door for another few minutes. Um, Doug, could we we talk a bit about your influences? Mm -hmm. You've you've mentioned, I think, in the past, the books of Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, Jacques Cousteau, his uh, first book called The Silent World was a great influence. I remember reading that when I was maybe 10 or 11 years old and and having reread it since, I can see why I got excited about it. It was just almost pure adventure. But, you know, the 60s were definitely you know, a decade of analogue adventure. We were going into the sea and into space in ways that we'd never done before. Yes. And that was the first wave of environmental awareness, was the 60s. OK, and before we before we let you go, we're going to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about the environmental um, course, material yeah. and how mm-hmm. it's changed how you work. But but then since the 60s, and you mentioned the, the exploration of, of, uh, of both outer mm-hmm. space and deep sea in the same breath... Um, in a way, there's, there has been in the last um, last couple of decades a bit of a race amongst those who um, who love to be pioneers of of, of the abysses mm-hmm. to be there first. I'm thinking we were talking about uh, during the break about James Cameron, mm-hmm. the filmmaker, yeah. the maker of Titanic. Tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about. Well, James Cameron has always been interested in, in underwater uh, exploration. If you look at his movies, particularly Avatar, you know, you, lots of the landscapes uh, on land in Avatar are based on... There are sea-like creatures floating around in the trees and that kind of thing, anchored to the trees. Um, so he decided that he wanted to visit the deepest part of the world's oceans, um, so he built himself a one-man submersible. But he wasn't the first. The first people to go down to that depth were two people... Um, an American and a Frenchman uh, who went down in 1960 in the Bathyscaphe Trieste. So he wasn't the second one. He was only the second one. It's just that no one had been there in the in-between because we lost that desire for manned submersibles and we went on to ROVs and things. Um, but yeah, no, there's, um, there's also another uh, well-funded uh, gentleman called Victor Vescovo who went one better than Cameron. He decided to visit the deepest part in all the world's oceans. So he did the Atlantic, the Mariana Trench the Pacific, etc., etc. Um, but uh, I mean, to be honest, you don't see that much in the deep sea. Um, it's a bit of a tech box, really. It's rather right. like going okay. to the North Pole. Uh, well, you know, if you want to see wildlife, don't go to the North Pole. There's nothing there. Uh, don't go to the South Pole. There's just a big American station that sits there. You know, stick to the coast. That's where you'll see it. And if you want to see life, stick to the shallows stick or the mid depths. Um, you've talked about the quieter times in filmmaking, mm-hmm. where a, 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 a deep understanding reveals mm. itself and a new insight into the environment and 
and what's alive there mm-hmm. um, appears. What, what do you mean? What? How has how has do- uh, documentary filmmaking or marine documentary making changed environmentally? Well, there is much more awareness of the issues that there are in the environment, and I think there's been a move to try to incorporate those issues into the filmmaking. But to my mind, it's still it's still fairly simplistic, and it still tends to be a message that's tagged on the end of the film. I haven't yet seen a film which really comes to the core of it. And and one of the one of the things that commissioners will see is that oh you can't go into those things they're too complicated for for the for the viewer right. and my the way the presentations that I've given I've proven to myself that I can give very similar messages very similar images to a very wide range of people and they enjoy being you know, it, having that sort of entertainment information and perhaps even being challenged by it it's all about the delivery and it's all about wrapping the facts in a story Mm. So you've, you've 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 mentioned that the polar bear is your favourite and yeah, and no. um, and can you can you share a polar bear story that demonstrates how their lives have have had to change really uh, rapidly in the well last the sea ice well interesting I'll tell you what's happening the sea ice in the Arctic is is shrinking it's breaking up earlier in the in the spring and that warm weather means that the the grizzly bears are moving north earlier in the season than they were and the female polar bears are being pushed off the ice earlier than they were and what's happening is that male polar bears are meeting female grizzly bears on the same beach and we have what are called pizzlies and a pizzly is a male polar bear mating with a female grizzly to produce a new species so it's a darwinian solution to the sad fact that climate change is bringing these two species together and what's interesting is that pizzlies can go on to breed with other polar bears or other grizzlies so it's not like they're fertile so i think it proves that grizzlies and polar bears diverged fairly recently in evolutionary terms and they're still capable when you bring them together of producing uh, an offspring but whether that that uh, offspring the offspring is basically stays with its mother because it's a male polar bear female grizzly and the feet the cubs stay with the mother so that that bear will probably grow up more like a grizzly bear I would like to know what happens when you get what's called a growler which is a male grizzly bear with a female polar bear because the offspring of that will stay with the mother polar bear and they'll grow up more like polar bears Uh, well that's a small and fascinating insight and more I'm sure will um, be revealed in your show in the set theatre tonight Um, you're so welcome in studio thank you Doug I'm sorry that I our time's been cut short um, but it's uh, uh, fascinating to listen to you and I, I heard you a few years ago in 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 Carlo in the George Bernershaw oh, Theatre and it is just an invigorating hour and a half of time or good. two hours time so best of luck and well, thanks, as I you, said though. to anyone listening who feels like they can drop everything and go and see something utterly wonderful um, it starts at eight o'clock in the set theatre go there excellent thank you you're listening to The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous, brought to you with thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. 
Now to our weekly profile, and we're going to hear from Orla Mackey, a writer living in Gothenburg, County Kilkenny. Things are going really well for this English literature Trinity graduate. Her first novel, Mouthing, about a community at ease with the passing on of a bit of hearsay, was purchased by Hamish Hamilton and is out in spring 2024. But meanwhile, she's writing her next about an undertaker. Both novels are set in the same rural village in Ireland, but let's hear a little bit from Orla herself. My name is Orla Mackey. I'm originally from Gathabon. Gathabon is a small but very lively village in North Kilkenny, set at the foot of Sawhill and Cullinan Mountain. I did spend time away from home studying and travelling, but I was always drawn back to Gathabon and I'm very proud to say that that's where I now live. Gathabon is a rural area. It has a population of around 300 people, so I'm very definitely rural-based and yes, without a doubt, that has an influence on my work. I always try to get the rhythms of rural Ireland down on paper and my writing aims to represent communities that don't normally find their way into literature. So a key point in my career as a writer has been novel fair. And just to explain that a bit, earlier this year I won a competition run by the Irish Writers' Centre in Dublin. The prize was the opportunity to pitch your novel to 20 publishers and literary agents. It was absolutely nerve-wracking, but it was a brilliant experience. And to this day, I can't believe what happened for me as a result. I received offers from multiple agents and publishers, I signed with Nicola Barr from the Literary Agency in London and my book became the subject of a multi-publisher auction that eventually saw Penguin UK emerge as the highest bidder. It even seems surreal to say that out loud now. It's only since winning Novel Fair and having my writing seen and approved by publishers and agents that I'm shyly considering myself an artist. I credit a few key people with encouraging me in my writing and in getting me to this point. But I have to really acknowledge and commend the Kilkenny Arts Office for all of the many supports that they have in place. Kilkenny Arts Office are really engaged and they're energetic champions of the arts. I've been lucky enough to benefit from a mentorship, a bursary and a residency. All of these contributed massively to helping me complete the first draft of a novel and being selected for Novel Fair 2022. So I don't know what it's like to be an artist anywhere other than Kilkenny, but I do know that in Kilkenny I feel supported and connected and encouraged by the Arts Office and by the community that they create through their various initiatives. I'm currently working on a book about a funeral undertaker named Mick who lives and works in a rural community. So Mick is an egomaniac who believes that escorting corpses out of this world is much more of a miracle than bringing people into it. So he's hard to put up with, but he's great fun to write and I'm really enjoying the process. So time and space are important to me as a writer because when I don't have time and space, I don't write. So it's as simple as that. When you're given time, for example, when you benefit from residencies or bursaries awarded by the Arts Office, and these awards allow you to take yourself away for a week or a fortnight where your main focus is writing, it feels amazing. On these residencies, you're working every day, but your work is your writing, and you feel so good about it. You feel like a real writer. You feel like you're getting somewhere, and you feel validated and boosted. It means so much. I'd advise anyone interested in the arts to sign up for the alerts from their arts office. 
that way they'll learn of the supports that are out there. I'd also advise them to find like-minded people. One or two, it doesn't matter how many. People who will encourage them and ask them about what they're doing. I have a writing family. They know who they are and without them I'd be lost. Those were the words of Orla Mackey, and we're now joined on the line by Angela Dorgan and Jim Carroll. These are two people who work deep behind the scenes in music, not on stage, nor in the wings, nor in the sound booth, nor even keeping the engine running on the tour bus. They help get people started. They're involved in a project called the Regional Development Programme, and uh, I'd like to welcome you both on the line to talk to me a wee bit about that. Hey, Hugo. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. That's, well, that's quite all right. Um, I I suppose my first question is is that this is described as a as a musician first project. So, what sort of cries for help do you expect? Um, so, I suppose First Music Contact is is the company that I'm um, CEO of, and this is part of a a range of services that we have available for musicians all over the country um, and they follow the talent pipeline of support from when uh, a musician creates, first creates their own music and they have identified their artistic ability, we then go about helping them develop their commercial ambition for that activity um, or for that ability, if you like. So the Cries for Help, I suppose, um, this is our second set of counties that we're working with. Uh, we did a pilot with Cavan, Leitrim, Mayo and Cork County. Um, as part of the regional development pilot and now we're working we're in the second stage of our work with musicians from Carlow, Kilkenny, Wexford and Waterford um, as part of the regional development project and the, the I suppose the cries for help that come up are the same that every musician um, is looking for really a bit of support, a bit of mentorship, knowledge about the industry, network opportunities so that's how we've built the first series and now upcoming the second series of um, professional development panels um, and that the overall aim then of the regional development initiative is to bring the musicians and the arts office in their counties um, closer together so that they may work together and our ambition is that we get to every uh, city or county council by the end of 2024 and help each of them write a plan for music and a plan for responding to musicians locally and, and and responding locally to the needs of musicians. Okay, and uh, Jim, perhaps I could uh, bring you in here. You've you've a background um, in in uh, in brilliant journalism and um, and have been in, uh, one of the organisers of the Great Banter series, um, and so you're a you're a knowledgeable man for a conversation about a bit of music. Tell us how, how you fit into this uh, regional development programme. So how is, uh, Hugo, is, 
basically quite simple. I would have worked with Angela over the years on Hard Work That's Heroes, which is now Ireland Music Week. So I would have kind of like hosted panels for her and other working team in putting together those panels and putting together those keynote conversations. So Angela approached me in the summer 2021 about this, about this kind of plan. And what appealed to me was the fact that we were going to be coming, building it from the ground up. We're actually going to go to the musicians themselves to find out what they wanted. You know, I mean, there's an awful lot of things that are kind of foisted on musicians. There's an awful lot of kind of things that, you know, that are put on. You said earlier on about the fact that, you know, we, we don't drive, we don't drive tour buses. We don't do all that. We, we exactly, we're not, we're not involved in that side of things. And sometimes, you know, you, you the, the people are, people like us who are kind of like, we, we work in the middle, we're in that exchange of brokerage between the artist and the audience. We have ideas about, about what both sides really want. But when you actually go and actually talk to the musicians for a start and find out what they want, it's a fascinating process, you know? And like, you know, my, my day job is kind of like working with academics and researchers and sort of taking a leaf from their book in that we are surveying and we are kind of actually going out to musicians and we've found out by a process of survey after survey, questionnaire after questionnaire, panel after panel, what exactly they're after. So my role in it basically is kind of like, my job is basically is, is, to, is to guide the cattle. My job is kind of like the, I'm the lad with the stick standing in the middle, making sure that the cattle go where they're supposed to go, making sure the conversation goes as it's supposed to go, making sure basically that the people in the room get their questions answered so like I, I will kind of like do the interviews or these discussions with the arts office like on the next round for example we were talking to Mary Butler the excellent arts officer we had down to Kenny about like the funding opportunities and, and basically this is going to have an opportunity to kind of like address any, any issues they have and one of the most amazing things I've got out of this is like you know you know like so, sometimes you know I, like I've been around the tracks a, a lot so you think you've heard it all and then someone will say something there's a musician of a male and one of the nights we're doing this Hugo he came out with a line which has become the motto for this, it's like I don't know what I don't know. You know, we're, we're all kind of like, we, we, and like the fact that someone can articulate that is hugely beneficial to me as kind of like someone who's kind of steering the conversation. Like he doesn't really know, we just know. So our job basically is to help him by like looking at what they're after. You know, like I, I love that there's certain kind of teams have come up already for what all the musicians want. You know, and they're not the obvious ones either. Not the ones you might think. Mm-hmm. Like for example, mentoring has come up again and again. But it's a very specific kind of mentoring. It's sort of a medium to long term mentoring where they where where like more experienced musicians will work with them in terms of like showing them the ropes. And from, from my point of view, and from the arts officer's point of view as well, it's just fascinating to see what's coming out of it. It's not what you'd expect, because an awful lot of grounds are already covered by the arts officers. So what we're unearthing is not a lot of new ground for them to follow up on. Yes, yeah, I follow. And and tell me, you mentioned at the beginning um, of the of the conversation we're having, Angela, that this was really about the development of of musicians as 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 commercial entities. And I wanted just to to elaborate on that a little bit because there are there are obviously musicians who want a career out of music, and then there are musicians who aren't so pushed about that. So, how, where does that where do those different two different categories fit into the program? Um, well, they they all fit into the program. Anybody who wants um, an opportunity to network, an opportunity to find out more about the industry, any opportunity to kind of gather as Jim says, more kind of uh, information about their arts office, uh, information about how the music industry works in general. Anybody can join. I suppose, for me, it's about where the regional development plan sits in the rest of our activities and and in all of our activities you can you you know you can you can opt in or opt out depending on where you've decided to go with um the commercial ambition for your artistic practice or 
you may not have any commercial ambition for it and you might just have educational mm. ambition for it. And then that's somewhere we where you can still engage with us. But as a resource organisation where First Music Contact is, is funded by the Arts Council to provide that um, that uh, pipeline, if you like, in support of, of the artist, which then goes on to include Ireland Music Week, as Jim said, and then the Export Office Music from Ireland. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, um, you know, I, I, I just want to something there. Go ahead. That, that's an excellent question because, I mean, like, like the point is, that sometimes these musicians forget about the fact that, like, they actually have a skill that, I don't know about you, but I can't play an instrument, I can't play drums, I can't sing, you know, yes. but they have these skills. They can write songs, they can do all this. And these are all amazing soft skills that will stand for them for 20, 30, 40 years of their mm-hmm. life. Like, I mean, when they're 67, 60 or 70, they can pick up a guitar and play to their kids or grandchildren. And, like, that's something that, like, I'm, I've stressed to all the musicians uh, on this panel. They have these amazing skills, and not to forget that. Yes, the industry is convoluted. Yes, the industry is complicated. Trying to make money, trying to make an honest living from the music industry is, is, is very hard these days. But at the same time, they need to kind of remember that they have these incredible skills they've built up themselves, and that's something that they should treasure, and that's something that they actually yeah. should also be very, very proud of. Yeah, it's an enormously exciting time for, for music here, and and, uh, and obviously we're... We're heralding in a new period of, of, of the new Irish, of, of the music of, of Denise Chyler and JLOL and Sule and Toshin and so on. And, um, and it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a time to really harness the changes that are going on. So what you're doing is wonderful. And um, the, the, the way, just so our listeners understand, the way into engagement with you um, is first through a questionnaire. Where would, they, where would they go to find out what they need to do next? So they, if they go to um, the Kilkenny Arts Office website, um, they invite to the second uh, event so that we kick off the 28th, 29th, 30th and uh, 1st of December is the next uh, four panels in the southeast. The Kilkenny one is on the Tuesday night, but because all of those arts offices work um, in, a, in a collective way under Artlinks, um, they've agreed to allow all the musicians go to all four panels. Um, so you can go to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday um, and you just go to your Arts Office website. The information is there. The link is, is in that invitation and so is the survey to just let us know what you feel about what's available in your Arts Office so that that gives Jim as the moderator more information to get across during um, the interview with the Arts Office while we try and put together uh, that music plan at, at the end of it all. Okay, well we'll we'll put those details onto our website as well. It's been a pleasure to talk to you both and, and well done for what is a really superb uh, programme and I hope that it um, brings great fruition in the years to come. And um, and for the fine work on the hard working class heroes um, event and everything else that you do, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank for you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now, last June, Laurie Anderson, artist, musician, and celebrated muse to so many greats, such as uh, Brian Eno and, and David Byrne, and her own fellow Lou, Lou Reed of Velvet Underground, she came to Carlo for the first time, and. Um, not, she insists, the last. Uh, she spoke to Hothouse Flower Fiatner Brennan about fashioning something out of the fizzing wires when art and technology meet. Have a listen. I was invited to Adelaide, Australia, to work with the, the biggest language supercomputer in the world. And I arrived there and they said, OK, so you're the artist in residence here. What would you like to do with the biggest supercomputer in the world? And I said, it's a supercomputer. Doesn't it have its own 
projects, you know, needs me to like design something. And they said, oh, okay, well, we said, I said, let's teach it to read because that's a hard thing to do, you know. So first of all, let's teach it to read the Bible because that's a book everyone's banging on, you know, let's see what, um, what it makes of it. So we put the three streams of language that make up the Bible, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and you could control verse by verse what amount of each language would go into that particular translation. So the idea was that if it's more Greek, is it going to be more rational? You know, if, you add, if it's more Hebrew, is it going to be more mystical? I have to say, very inconclusive results. <laughs> Next thing we did, we put all of Ulysses into the supercomputer. And it actually, it did not understand this as language. So it was, it was like, what does this hundred-letter word do? What, when it's made out of so many different languages. What is it? Go, what's going on? So it was. It kind of crashed the program. Amazing, good man, <laughs> and, James. Yes. And then they uh, then they sent me uh, right before Christmas, weirdly, a nine thousand page document. They had taken everything I've ever written, or said, or muttered, or whatever, recorded. Uh, and put it into the supercomputer and crossed it with the Bible. So they sent me a 9,000-page text, which is only one of the trillions of iterations this could be because every time you put it through that, it's different every single time. There's no definitive translation. (laughs) And so in this Bible, I'm telling you with great confidence about the creation of the world. It has my vocabulary, syntax, I can see within it what elements from stories I've combined. It's freakish. It's like you're working with your own brain, but uh, magnifies by a billion times. And also then there's, you know, I'm telling you about the, how did it happen, the dominion of man over animals? I'm so elaborating on that. And also the fiery ends in Revelation, I kind of like spinning that out. And it was, it was freakish. <laughs> but, but I've been using that for every project since. Because as you know, this, uh, most of writing is editing. You know, you kind of like try to put some th- things out and then you go, no, 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 no. And you just cut, 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 cut. So this is just a way of doing that, just getting a lot of stuff going on. And um, it's, it's uh, the greatest fun. And I, I think these AI things are getting more and more common and so that they'll be real tools for uh, writers and musicians too because it's working now with musical phrases. That's really my hobby now is just looking at different stories through this filter. So it's really, really um, very freeing sort of tool. I'm writing a kind of an updated version of the arc and it's a kind of like 21st version of where we're going to go and uh, what we're going to save when we get there and what's, what is going to happen in the <laughs> to propel this. So I went back to look at Noah's stories and I brought a little bit of that text that this thing spewed out. I can read it. So this is in Genesis 5. This is a, some of the instructions of how to build this ark. But it goes off the rails so fast, you know. <laughs> See, this, the, I, I set the, the level of this translation very uh, um, high. In other words, to just free associate on every word. 
So once in a while, you're going to hear something about a flood, something about a guy who's supposed to do something, build something, go somewhere. And this is about collecting all the animals. And then the opera that I'm writing, of course, collecting all the animals when they're mostly extinct is more or less getting DNA together. So it's a different kind of arc. So if there's an animal in the world, it must be a bird. There must be some other animals alive who talk to animals. Yes, there must be other kinds of animals on the earth, but please don't tell me about them. There are pairs of people who are the same animal, and those who are not animals can never be the same. But when the animal hears that word, he pairs his ears to the animal's ear and names it night. Ah, the old days. Some nights now Noah dreams he sees his boat leaving the dock. It's just another day on the planet Earth. Only this time, it's with an animal friend. You can imagine like 9,000 pages of this stuff. (laughs) It is, you know, 50, 60% monkeys with typewriters, maybe more. Um, Then another 5% kind of interesting. And then uh, 3% like, whoa, what is that? Pairs is here. It's like what... You know, you're, when you're pairing your phone, and it's, it's a lot of things going on in it that make you think of, of these situations a little bit differently. So uh, that that's what I like about it. It just jars you out of your, like, here's how to tell a story. Here's what a story is. Here's how it should go. Here's who the narrator is. That's another thing that you don't know here. Who's telling you this story? And that, of course, is, for me, the most interesting thing about it. all stories. Whose story? Who's talking? With thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland, this is The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous. This is KCLR. That's it for this week. Our thanks to Doug Allen, to Orla Mackey, to Angela Dorgan and Jim Carroll and Laurie Anderson. We have one recommendation for you this week to to go and see, and that is Ali Comerford, who's performing this Thursday in Clears. Have a listen to her single Cool Girl and you'll know exactly what I'm saying. Get in touch with the arts show um, at uh, kclr96fm.com or text or WhatsApp us on 083 306 9696. Love to hear your thoughts, comments, suggestions. Thank you to Martin Bridgman on the knobs and knockers desk and to Ethna Quirk for production. You can listen back via our podcast section on our website kcr96fm.com Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous with thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland